All right, everybody, it is Friday, April 7th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. This is the place where we bring you just the facts and reread all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill is off for the next week, so it'll just be me. I hope everyone had a good week and we'll have a relaxing weekend. We have a lot of news for you as we head into this weekend. The Republican-led Tennessee State House expelled two of three Democratic members on Thursday. The controversial vote is dominating headlines right now and drawing accusations of racism. There are new calls today for new rules when it comes to the U.S. Supreme Court after revelations yesterday that Justice Clarence Thomas has been gifted lavish trips worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. China began new military exercises in response to a meeting this week between the U.S. House Speaker and the Taiwanese President. Meanwhile, we're tracking violence escalating in the Middle East as the Israelis launched airstrikes overnight in response to rockets coming at them from the north in Lebanon and from the south in the Gaza Strip. The Biden White House is out with a new report on why the Afghanistan withdrawal was a disaster, and they're pointing the finger at former President Trump. We're learning more today about the death of rapper Coolio, and it appears there is a restaurant resolution at hand after Chipotle filed a lawsuit against the salad chain Sweetgreen this week. And of course, we'll end as always with On This Day in History. But let's begin now in Tennessee with an extraordinary act of political retaliation. Republicans in the Tennessee State House on Thursday expelled two Democratic lawmakers from the state legislature for their role in a protest calling for more gun control. A third Democrat who was up for expulsion narrowly survived by a one-vote margin. The split vote, the fact that they kicked out two Democrats and one was saved, is drawing accusations of racism, though, as Representatives Justin Jones and Justin Pearson who are both black, were kicked out, while Representative Gloria Johnson, a white woman, narrowly survived the vote on her expulsion. Republicans, though, deny that race was a factor. I'll have more on that in just a little bit. But let's go back to how this all started. Last Thursday, when the trio of lawmakers, Jones, Pearson, and Johnson, all Democrats, walked to the front of the House chamber and chanted back and forth from the chamber floor with gun control supporters who were packed in the visitor's gallery. The group was holding a bullhorn, uh, shouting back and forth with the protesters. And so they delayed action on the floor for several minutes, the speaker having to call a recess and then having to reset things after their protest. Keep in mind, this protest was happening just a few days after that school shooting in Nashville that killed six people, including three nine-year-old children. That led thousands of people to march to the Capitol in Tennessee and several hundred to go inside and then pack the House Gallery last Thursday. In response to this several-minute protest, Republicans said that this was an unacceptable disruption by these three representatives, and they needed to be punished for it. Now, keep in mind, Republicans control every part of the Tennessee government, including having a supermajority, 75 of the 99 seats in the state house. There was a wide range of consequences they could have considered for the three representatives, starting with verbal condemnation, an ethics committee investigation, a whole variety of things, but Republicans decided to go with banishment. Now, keep in mind, expulsion is a move the chamber has only used a handful of times in the past 160 years. Most state legislatures have the power to expel members, but it's generally reserved as a punishment for lawmakers accused of very serious misconduct. In the past, legislators have been kicked out for sexual assault and a wide variety of crimes. It's not typically used against political opponents. That said, Republicans felt that this was necessary And so they held votes yesterday, giving each of the three representatives a chance to defend themselves and answer questions before voting on their expulsion. Here's a bit of Justin Jones. He was the first to be expelled on Thursday, 
talking about what he believes is hypocrisy in the chamber, given some of the accusations and crimes committed by other members of the body who never faced expulsion. For years, one of your colleagues who was an admitted child molester sat in this chamber, no expulsion. One member sits in this chamber who was found guilty of domestic violence, no expulsion. We had a former speaker sit in this chamber who is now under federal investigation, no expulsion. We have a member still under federal investigation, no expulsion. We had a member pee in another member's chair in this chamber, no expulsion. In fact, they're in leadership. In the, in the governor's administration. And so once again, what you're saying to us, since you're trying to put us on trial, I'll say what you're really putting on trial is the state of Tennessee. What you're really showing for the world is holding up a mirror to a state that is going back to some dark, dark roots. So that was Justin Jones there. He was one of the two members uh, to lose their seat yesterday. Democrats said this was anti-free speech, anti-democracy. They said it was ridiculous that the first major move by the Tennessee State House following last week's school shooting was to kick out two members instead of actually dealing with gun violence. Republicans, again, said they had to set an example here and felt obligated to go with expulsion for the interruption last week. Now, notably, as we talk about these three legislators, of course, the two who were expelled and Gloria Johnson, who narrowly survived by one vote, uh, they each faced questions. When Johnson took the floor, she actually reminded legislators that she did not raise her voice or use that bullhorn like the other two. We should note the other two, again, both black and both among the youngest members in the chamber. But after the vote, she said the fact that she survived and the other two lost their seats, quote, might have to do with the color of our skin. However, the House Speaker, the Republican, Cameron Sexton, who voted to expel all three of them, denied that any race was at play here and said it was actually Johnson's arguments that might have swayed other members. He claimed Johnson was more subdued when she was on the floor, whereas he believed that Jones and Pearson were trying to, quote, incite a riot last week. You might have caught live coverage of all of this uh, Thursday afternoon and evening. It's been dominating the headlines. As for what's next. Pearson and Jones expelled. Notably, special elections will now be held in their two state house districts, and both men are actually allowed to run again and could return to the House. They're actually both vowing to return to the House. Incidentally, if they are elected again and they return to the Tennessee House, they cannot be expelled for the same reason they were expelled on Thursday. At the same time, when it comes to the aftermath of the school shooting, there are calls for actual legislation. People are fired up across the state. You're seeing activists, teachers, students leave the classroom to protest here, demanding some sort of action be taken. In Tennessee right now, as we noted at the top, there are Republican supermajorities, meaning they have complete control of both chambers as well as the governor's mansion. So the focus so far, given their politics, has been on school security measures, not on any gun control measures. That's something that the marchers and protesters in the Capitol have been calling for. Let's head to Washington now, where Democratic lawmakers there are calling for tighter ethics rules for the Supreme Court. That's after a report on Thursday revealed that Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars in luxury gifts from a major conservative donor without disclosing them. The journalism website ProPublica published this huge investigation yesterday on an array of trips funded by a Dallas billionaire named Harlan Crow. 
the publication said that Justice Thomas typically spends about a week every summer at Crow's private resort in the Adirondacks. And it said that the justice has also vacationed at his ranch in East Texas and has joined Crow at a retreat in California. ProPublica also cited a nine-day trip that Clarence Thomas took with his wife, Ginny, to Indonesia a couple years ago that included flights on Crow's jet, island hopping on a super yacht, and apparently would have cost the couple more than $500,000 if it had not been gifted to them. Now, notably, the big issue here is that these trips appeared nowhere on Thomas's financial disclosure forms. His failure to report the flights appears to violate a law passed after Watergate that requires justices, judges, members of Congress, and federal officials to disclose most gifts. Legal ethical experts say uh, Thomas should have at least disclosed those trips on the yacht. And it appears now that for more than two decades, Thomas has accepted luxury trips virtually every year from Harlan Crow without disclosing them. Now, keep in mind here that Clarence Thomas, longtime Supreme Court justice, has an annual salary of $285,000. But apparently, he's been consistently vacationing on Crow's super yacht around the globe, as well as flying around in his private jet. ProPublica reports that the extent and frequency of Crow's gifts to Thomas have no known precedent in the modern history of the Supreme Court. Now, who is Harlan Crow? Well, he, for a long time, has been a very influential figure in the pro-business conservative political community and has spent millions trying to shape the law and the judiciary to be more conservative. Now, ProPublica notes that Crow and his firm have not had a specific case before the Supreme Court since Thomas joined it in the 90s, but the court periodically hears major cases that do impact the real estate industry. Justice Thomas did not immediately respond to this report. Crow put out a statement saying he's never sought to influence Thomas in any way. As for what happens next here, that is unclear. Based on the report, it's possible that Thomas may have broken a law here, but that is not clear and requires an investigation. And that's something the Democrats in the Senate on Thursday were promising. It also comes as Supreme Court judges sort of live in a bubble here. While there's a code of conduct for federal judges below the Supreme Court that requires them to avoid even the appearance of impropriety, members of the Supreme Court police themselves. While over in the legislature, members of Congress are generally prohibited from taking gifts worth $50 or more and would need pre-approval from the Ethics Committee to take any of the trips Thomas has accepted, there are a few rules for Supreme Court justices. And that's leading a number of Democrats, as well as nonpartisan judicial observers, to say yesterday, it is about time the court had a code of conduct. We can't trust the Supreme Court anymore to police themselves. This is beyond unacceptable. So you can expect hearings about this in the U.S. Senate and a debate over whether a code of conduct is necessary for the nine judges on the nation's highest court. Keep in mind, they have lifetime appointments, so that is only reinforcing the feeling among some legislators that it's past due that they have rules they have to abide by. All right, we have a lot more to get to on this Friday, including on this day in history. As many of you know, we love talking about nostalgia on this podcast. And one thing many of us look back fondly on is these cereals we had back in the day. Magic Spoon Cereal has joined us as a partner, and they've replicated some of those great flavors many of us remember from our youth. They have a variety pack right now with peanut butter, frosty, cocoa, and fruity flavors. You can have that nostalgia from back in the day, but in a low-carb way. The great thing about Magic Spoon right now is they're gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and sugar-free. And they have a special deal right now for the Mo News community. You can head over right now to magicspoon.com slash monews to grab a variety pack and try it today. Promo code, again, is monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money 
no questions asked. Again, you can get your next delicious bowl of high-protein cereal over at magicspoon.com slash monews. Use the code monews for $5 off. All right, I want to take a moment here to thank our sponsor this week, Athletic Greens. I've been using their AG1 supplement since the fall. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. I found it to be really easy, really quick. It lets me get on with my day knowing I've gotten more than 75 important ingredients, including tons of minerals and vitamins. It also has pre and probiotics, which help you with gut health, support digestion, with your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens right now is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D as well as five free travel packs of AG1. You can head over to athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, that special Mo News deal you can find over at athleticgreens.com slash monews. It's an opportunity to really start to take ownership of your health. All right, let's get to today's speed read, starting with this from the Reuters news agency overnight. The Israeli military said it has launched airstrikes in Lebanon early on Friday. The announcement of the strikes came hours after the Hamas terror group, allegedly operating over the border in Lebanon, fired nearly three dozen rockets into Israel on the first day of the Jewish holiday of Passover. The Israelis also struck targets in the Hamas-controlled territory of the Gaza Strip early Friday following rocket fire from that area. The Israeli prime minister saying late Thursday that he's going to make the country's enemies pay. That's after Hamas militants fired a barrage of rockets at Israel on Thursday, forcing people across northern Israel into bomb shelters. The missiles wounded at least two people and caused some significant property damage. Israel's military said 34 rockets were fired across the border. 25 were shot down by its Iron Dome aerial defense system, but a handful got through. The unusually large number of rockets from the northern border there raised fears of a wider war, as that area is controlled by Hezbollah. That's an Iranian-backed militant group in southern Lebanon that holds much sway over that territory. So the Israelis are pointing the finger, saying that Hamas could not have been able to launch those missiles without the tacit approval of Hezbollah and of course, Iran. But let's back up here, because this most recent round of missile attacks is actually what Hamas says is revenge for arrests that Israel made earlier in the week. In Jerusalem on Wednesday night, a group of Palestinians who were allegedly gathering weapons and stones and firecrackers inside the Al-Aqsa Mosque, that's the third holiest site in Islam, clashed with Israeli police. Apparently, the group had barricaded themselves inside. The Israeli police then stormed the mosque, making hundreds of arrests, and it escalated into violent confrontations. Palestinians who were arrested at the compound and later released said police used batons, chairs, rifles to strike Palestinians, and in some cases outside the mosque, used stun grenades and rubber bullets. Now, the Israelis say they had to go in and clear those weapons from a religious site, and they feared the Palestinians were going to use them to attack Jews praying just below the Temple Mount at the Western Wall. Hamas, Palestinian leaders, and some leaders across the Arab world called it trespassing by the Israeli police on this holy site and then vowed revenge. That is what then led to the rocket strike, which has now led to the Israeli response. So that's just the events of the last 72 hours. We'll continue to monitor that. This is always a very challenging time of year, as right now, again, you have Jews celebrating Passover, Muslims celebrating Ramadan, and of course, it's Holy Week for Christians there. So things always tend to be tense this time of year with concern that one attack could lead to a wider war. 
All right, staying abroad here with this from the Hill newspaper. China has launched military drills in response to that long-anticipated meeting between the Taiwanese president and U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. This meeting in California was highly anticipated, and it marked a show of democratic solidarity in defiance of threats from China, who warned McCarthy and the U.S. not to meet with the Taiwanese president. McCarthy and a bipartisan group of lawmakers met with the president, Tsai Ing-wen, at the Reagan Library in Simi Valley. The landmark meeting is the second time that Tsai has met with an American lawmaker. Now, this is not the first time we've told you about a meeting between the Taiwanese president and a Speaker of the House. You might remember last summer when then-House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan. That also came amid a whole bunch of Chinese threats and led to a whole bunch of Chinese military drills in response to it. And it appears the Chinese, again, are making good on their threat to uh, respond here following a U.S. decision to uh, meet with the Taiwanese president. Keep in mind, now we're talking about McCarthy, who's a Republican, but he's being backed up by the Biden White House, saying, we totally support this meeting. We need to support our allies in Taiwan and adding that the Chinese should stop overreacting to meetings like this. Okay, the Associated Press is reporting on a new proposal from the Biden administration that came out on Thursday that would forbid schools and colleges across the U.S. from enacting outright bans on transgender athletes. This proposed rule from the White House comes amid a wave of Republican-led states that have sought to ban trans athletes from competing in school sports. If finalized, this White House proposal would become enshrined as a provision in Title IX, that's the landmark gender equity legislation that's been in effect for more than 50 years. Now, the proposal does have to go through a lengthy approval process it will likely face challenges, uh, lawsuits. I should add that while the proposal does ban schools from banning transgender athletes, the proposal does say that teams can create some limits in certain cases, they say, to ensure fairness. Right now, at least 16 states have bans in effect covering at least high school sports. Some also extend them to intramural, club, or college sports. But enforcement of bans in at least three states has been put on hold by courts, and one more has adopted a ban that doesn't take effect until July. Of tens of millions of high school students in the U.S., the estimate right now is that 300,000 kids from the ages of 13 to 17 identify as transgender. So we'll await more details on that proposal, but it did come on the same day the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that a 12-year-old transgender girl in West Virginia can continue competing on her middle school track team. West Virginia was hoping the court would reinforce their ban on transgender athletes competing on female teams. Now, this wasn't a typical case. This came on what's called the emergency docket for the Supreme Court, some called the shadow docket. It means that a decision is made without a full briefing or argument, sometimes decided with little or no explanation. In this case, you had an unsigned order, the Supreme Court denying the request by the West Virginia Attorney General to let the state enforce is 2021 transgender sports ban. So we don't know much about the decision-making there by the majority of the court, but we did get on Thursday dissents from Sam Alito and Clarence Thomas who say they would have backed up that West Virginia ban. Okay, now this from the Washington Post. The Biden administration on Thursday released a summary of classified reports that mostly blame that chaotic August 2021 pullout from Afghanistan on Donald Trump. The White House says it was Trump's fault for failing to plan for the withdrawal he had agreed to with the Taliban. Keep in mind, Trump left office just about six months before Biden went ahead with that withdrawal. The White House yesterday releasing a 12-page summary, again, taking little responsibility for its own actions and asserting that Biden was, quote, severely constrained by Trump's decisions. 
Now, the White House does acknowledge in that report that the evacuation of Americans and allies from Afghanistan should have started sooner, but then blames those delays on the Afghan government and the Afghan military, as well as on U.S. military and intelligence community assessments. Now, this briefing document was drafted by the White House National Security Council with input from President Biden himself. So it's a little surprise that this assessment drew angry reactions from Republicans on Capitol Hill who have been demanding more White House documents for their own investigation of the Afghan pullout. Michael McCall, the Republican chairman of the U.S. House Foreign Relations Committee, strongly criticized the administration. He says it was Biden who ordered the pullout and it was the White House, the Democratic White House, that was responsible for the massive failures in planning and execution. All right, now from TMZ, we're learning more about Julio's death last year. The L.A. County Medical Examiner, more than six months now after the rapper's sudden passing, has determined that Julio died from an accidental overdose of fentanyl, heroin, and methamphetamine. According to the coroner, Julio, whose real name was Artis Leon Ivy, had a number of significant conditions. That included recent use of PCP, that hallucinogenic drug, cardiomyopathy, which is a heart muscle disease, as well as asthma. Julio's agent saying that his decades-long use of cigarettes also played a factor in his death and his body's inability to fight back. Apparently, he had some really severe asthma. Some of you might remember Julio as the singer behind the hit song Gangsta's Paradise. He died on September 28th while at a friend's house in L.A. He was found unconscious on a bathroom floor. Law enforcement sources claimed at the time that no drugs or drug paraphernalia were found at the scene and suspected that he had just died from cardiac arrest. But now from the medical examiner, we're getting much more detail. All right, finally now from NPR, the salad chain Sweetgreen, it seems, has turned down the heat brought on by Chipotle's lawsuit over their chicken burrito bowl. I don't know how many of you have been following this, but it appears there was some beef of sorts between Sweetgreen and Chipotle. Sweetgreen telling NPR now that it is renaming its new Chipotle chicken menu item following Chipotle's lawsuit against Sweetgreen. So apparently last month, Sweetgreen launched a new menu item, the Chipotle Chicken Burrito Bowl. Chipotle took notice, accusing Sweetgreen of trademark infringement, trademark dilution, and deceptive trade practices. The burrito chain claiming that Sweetgreen was trying to profit off Chipotle's near-identical, directly competitive, and well-known product. Sweetgreen has been looking to expand beyond green salads and warm grain bowls, and so they launched this Chipotle Chicken Burrito Bowl recently. Well... Chipotle was not too happy about that and appears Sweetgreen now understands. A spokesperson for the salad chain saying this week, quote, in order to focus on the business and continue serving our customers without distraction, we have decided to rename our bowl to the Chicken Plus Chipotle Pepper Bowl as part of a tentative agreement to resolve this lawsuit. It appears for now that Chipotle is satisfied. Among Chipotle's complaints was the name of the item, as well as similar ingredients, as well as Sweetgreen apparently was even using a font near identical to Chipotle's logo, as well as Chipotle's trademark adobo red color. So I don't know how many of you have tried this over a Sweetgreen, but it appears, again, the Chipotle Chicken Burrito Bowl is now the Chicken Plus Chipotle Pepper Bowl. If one of you tries it, please send me a message over on Instagram and let me know how it is. All right, now time for On This Day in History on this April 7th. We're going to start in 1994. On this day, 29 years ago is when the Civil War erupted in Rwanda. This would lead to a genocide, nearly 1 million people dead in 100 days. The world infamously did little to stop it. It's estimated that some 200,000 members of the Hutu tribe, spurred on by propaganda from various media outlets, participated in the genocide, 
more than 800,000 civilians, primarily members of the Tutsi minority, but as well as some moderate members of the Hutus, were killed during the campaign. My wife, Alex, and I had an opportunity to travel to Rwanda recently, visit uh, the Genocide Museum there, which is really uh, well done, incredibly done, and see how the country has uh, tried to come together uh, and rebuild itself after that tragedy of 1994. Okay, a couple of other items on this day in history. 96 years ago today, April 7th, 1927, the first demonstration of television, successful demonstration of television, took place thanks to AT&T. The image and voice of then Commerce Secretary Herbert Hoover were transmitted live from Washington, D.C. to New York. Staying in that era of American history, on this day in 1933, beer became legal again. So after about 13 years of prohibition, they were uh, getting set to repeal prohibition, you know, for 13 years when it was illegal in the U.S. to drink alcohol. And so, typical, they began with beer. So on this day in 1933, a number of states said, okay, beer is now officially legal on this April 7th. It was subsequently celebrated for a while as National Beer Day. All right, fast forward now. I don't want to age uh, you millennials too much, but we tend to do that sometimes on this podcast. On this day, 30 years ago, The Sandlot premiered in theaters. The Sandlot, 30 years old today. And on this day, 36 years ago today, DJ Jazzy Jeff and The Fresh Prince released their first ever studio album. It was called Rock the House. It featured a very young Will Smith. Just a couple years later, he would become the star of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which would premiere in 1990. All right, with Jill gone, it won't be the same for uh, today's what we're watching, reading, and eating this weekend. I'll just focus on what I'm watching. The second day of the Masters Golf Tournament uh, airs today. It'll be airing throughout the weekend. Tiger Woods is back, so that should make for some good watching. And then staying in the whole sports world, the movie Air premieres this weekend. It reunites Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, the Goodwill hunting duo. Air tells the story of the beginnings of the Nike sports company, which was very small. Nobody knew about it in the early 80s, and their genius choice to partner with a very young basketball player named Michael Jordan. In addition to featuring Affleck and Damon, it also features Jason Bateman, as well as Viola Davis, who apparently Michael Jordan insisted himself should play his mother in the film. Based on the trailers that are out there, I'm also looking forward to Affleck's portrayal of Nike founder Phil Knight, complete with tracksuits, shaggy hair, should be worth the price of admission. All right, that's it for us this week. I'll see you back here next week. I want to thank all of you for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Please follow this show and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Also, if you could leave us a review, I would be so grateful. Every review makes a difference and really helps the show grow and expand its reach. Also, don't forget to follow us over on Instagram at Mosh, at M-O-S-H-E-H. I'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast.